Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace for the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee, spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel, from Franklin to the nations of the world, all for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. Good morning. I feel like if I say help the teacher and my third point is so what, it'll be a good sermon. Um, (laughs) um, Let's pray. Uh, Actually, Lord, uh, for real, help the teacher. Um, These are your stories. Help me to tell them well in a way that brings you honor and glory. Amen. My name is Michael Armentrout, and I'm the director of Franklin Fellows. Um, Thank you. Uh, I'm married to Slayton, and I've got three kids, Sims, 15, he's a leader, um, and I've got two little girls who are in Florida, and they are 10 and 9, Anna and Kate. And we love Christ Community, and we're really thankful to be here. We found this to be a place of healing, a place of refreshment, a place where we've really gotten to connect and call it home. So thank you. Um, I get asked quite a bit uh, about Christ Community through my work. Um, I'm dealing with a lot of people who don't go to church here, so they ask, what's Christ Community Franklin like? And I always come back to this analogy that it's, it's a, long, a place of long history of gospel teaching where men and women in all spheres of life, whether it's homemaking, law, medicine, business, um, uh, justice issues, are coming, they're receiving the gospel sermons, and they're going back out, And they're living out that faith in a way where God brings about fruit, and that fruit is, you know, pushing forward the kingdom of God. A really poignant example of this uh, happened during the pandemic, during the height of the quarantine. Uh, My wife is a nurse, and she works at Williamson Medical Hospital, and she loves it. And that place is just chock full of amazing people. And through her hard work as a nurse, she gained access to the sixth floor, which is the COVID wing. And she gained access to men and women that were suffering with, um, with COVID. And there was a lady that came, and she was the mother to four young kids. She was the wife to a young husband who had optimistic dreams about his future. And she's there, and she could barely breathe. And you know these hospital rooms, they got the tile floors and the bright lights and there's doctors. And my wife was in her scrubs and on top of her scrubs there's a robe and she's wearing a mask and on top of the robe there's a shield. And she's there and there's the lady and her eyes, fear. And my wife is really good at putting her hand on people and saying, hey, I see, I see that you're anxious. You know, what what are things that comfort you in this time? And the lady talked about that she was a Christian, but she just was feeling really anxious at that moment. And my wife got to tell her that she was a Christian. And then they got to not talk about doctors, but about the healer. But what's really cool about that is right about that time, we were getting to know Scott and Michelle, and Scott had co-written a song called Peace with We The Kingdom, and my wife got to play that song. Now, Scott's not a nurse. He wouldn't have been welcome on the sixth floor. He wouldn't have been given access to that lady's room. But here he is, sitting under preaching, working faithfully, 
bringing about fruit that other parts of the body are bringing to bear in a world that greatly needs hope. And that, like, that, that happens repeats itself in all walks of life. Um, and so that's when I think about Christ's community, that's the kind of thing I think about, and I'm thankful. All right, that was a long introduction. Um, so when water is still and calm, it's at low energy, right? And you throw a rock in it, it kind of introduces energy to the water, and the ripples go out. So God throws a huge rock into the pond of Habakkuk's life and just sends these huge waves cascading through it. And our verse today is at the beginning of chapter 2, and God is telling Habakkuk, Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. So in this verse, we have this contrast. There's two different kinds of people. There's one guy whose soul is puffed up. That literally means he's like swollen. And he's puffed up because his desires are not upright, meaning he is like consuming and consuming everything. He does not know moderation. He consumes in a way that has disregard for the needs of people around him. But, contrast implied, the righteous shall live by faith. There are those who live uh, with restraint, with gratification delayed, than those people living um, by faith. And so, on its own, that verse is, that's great. You know, maybe the second half, you know, I'll write on my journal. Um, But without some context, let's step back from this. Without some context, we don't understand how massive this rock was for Habakkuk. And for us. Um, so at the beginning, Habakkuk is bringing God a complaint. He says, oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? Will you not hear? Or I cry to you, violence, will you not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. So Habakkuk's complaining to the Lord he is, there in, uh, he, is a, he is there in the southern kingdom of Judah. He is a 7th century prophet. So when we say that, 7th century prophet, southern kingdom of Judah, what does that mean? Well, go with me on that timeline. Joshua, they, they wandered around in the desert for a long time. Joshua led the children of Israel through the Jordan River and defeated Jericho. They wrote a song about it. Um, then they defeated... <laughs> Then they defeated the little nation state of Ai. And then there's this series of battles, you know, the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Jebusites. And during this time, this little band of people becomes settled in the land and becomes a monarchy. King Saul, King David, King Solomon. Because of King Solomon's idolatry, God tells him, I'm going to tear the kingdom from you. And we have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel. And the northern kingdom lasts for 200 years, and they're so idolatrous that they were sacrificing their children to idols. And God became very angry and raised up the Assyrians to overtake the northern kingdom. So now the southern kingdom lasts 100 years longer. So we're in this little moment. We're toward the end of the Old Testament. It's like twilight. It's not the end of the day. If you look at, if you think of the Old Testament as like a 24-hour day, it's twilight. It's not all the way midnight, but it's, the sun's going down. It's getting dark. Um, and we have this Habakkuk, we have Habakkuk who is having this conversation um, with the Lord. And 
he's, he brings this criticism. And the Lord says to him, oh, be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you will not believe even if I told you. That seems like really great news. I would want the Lord to say that to me. Like, be astounded. This is, I mean, it sounds like, you know, David Bowie. You know, there's a star man in the sky. He'd like to come and meet us, but he thinks he'd blow our minds. Um, I mean, it sounds really good. But then the very next verse, for behold, I am raising up the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own, they are dreaded and fearsome. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than wolves. They come for violence. So God's prophet is not at all comforted by God's message. And this not only is the message for Habakkuk, but the message Habakkuk has to give to the people. So he is not happy with this message, and he certainly is not happy about having to deliver this message. This is such an emotionally intense letter. Today is the last day of a two-week tennis tournament called Wimbledon. It's very posh. The athletes wear white. They play tennis on grass at the Old England Club. In 1981, a young guy from New York, John McEnroe, he had big, tall hair. He had like a little blue sweatband kind of cutting that hair in half, wooden racket. He serves the ball. It hits the line. A little bit of chalk flows up. The line judge calls it out. Well, John McEnroe was not going to have that. And he gave us one of the great lines in sports history. You cannot be serious. <laughs> that is exactly what Habakkuk is telling God right now. <laughs> he says... You who are pure of eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Is he, are you God, then to keep on mercilessly killing nations forever? So he, he, he goes from complaint to criticism. His emotions swerve. I'm sure Habakkuk was feeling a lot of things, but those emotions that, that the, the trajectory here is he swerves away from emotions to now bringing indictment against God, saying, why are you going to let a more unrighteous people take over a semi-righteous people? And, oh, are we just going to put this song on repeat? Are we just going to like keep killing nations forever, keep raising them up, bringing your judgment? And it's at this point that God says, behold, the soul, his soul is puffed up and it's not upright within him but the righteous shall live by his faith. And in the second chapter, God goes on to address Habakkuk's concern. He gives all these woes. Each woe is about those who gain unjustly, those who get evil for his house, those who build towns with blood. Woe, woe, woe. One scholar calls this the certitude of vanity because God concludes with, Um, God concludes with that, I meant to underline this verse, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So he's addressing this need that the injustice will stop. I'm the God who will bring change permanently 
for all people everywhere. I'm bringing change that will be sustainable, ongoing, for all people everywhere. That's the God I am. And then he addresses the second criticism of like, oh, we're just going to keep on mercilessly killing nations. He says, he ends a chapter with a picture of two very different gods. He said, what prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. He reassures Habakkuk of his divine rule. Like, hey, I'm God, and that's enough. By the end of the book, we see Habakkuk is a changed man. He's able to say that though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit on the vines, the produce of the olive fails, the, feeds, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Right? This is indeed faith. When we trust God, even when there's no fruit on the vine. So we are the recipients of something even greater, something even more intense, something even more wonderful. In Christ, God has acted in another astounding way and in another way that is truly hard to believe. Jesus was with his disciples and he said, but who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, good for you, Simon Barjona. It wasn't flesh and blood that revealed this to you, but the Father who's in heaven. And then Jesus took him aside and said, hey, guess what? We're going to Jerusalem where we're going to suffer, be persecuted by the religious leaders. And Peter took him aside and said, you cannot be serious. <laughs> right? God's people doubt God all the time. There's another slaughter. In Christ, we have another slaughter by the hands of the unrighteous. There's another slaughter by a mighty nation, a nation greater than Babylon. And God, again, is bringing his judgment. But this time, it's not the sins and the injustice of southern kingdom of Judah. It's your injustice. It's my sins. It's our wickedness. And this time, that judgment lands entirely on Jesus. Jesus was willfully and spectacularly defeated by his enemies. And during his defeat, during this humiliation and murder, guess what? The Lord was in his holy temple. And Jesus kept silent. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. In Christ, there is a deed that commands a response, and that response is faith. The people of God are characterized by faith. Will we be like Habakkuk is the question. And so as you hear this story, and as I ask this question, like, where are you? You know, maybe your relationship with God is like kind of rocky, like, can I sort of have a, a rocky relationship? Maybe you see that God, maybe you see and believe that God is really for people. He, you're just not convinced he's for you. Maybe you feel stuck in your faith. You feel like you just kind of 
flatlined and been at the same place in your faith for years and you feel frozen. Well, three encouragements to remember as we close. I want you to remember that Jesus' death and resurrection guarantees that the knowledge of the glory of God will indeed cover the earth like water covers the sea. Right, Guatemala City has the largest trash dump in all of Central America. It's huge. 60,000 people live in it. One in three of them can't read, or one in three of them do read. Um, God's glory is going to cover that. The favelas in Brazil, God's glory is going to cover that. Somalia, North Korea, the two most corrupt nations on the earth, God's glory is going to cover that. Sandy Hook in Newtown, Connecticut, and all the sites of school shootings, God's glory is going to cover that. It's important to remember that he is working, his purposes will be fulfilled, and often it's in ways that we can't see or recognize in the moment. So recognize is my second one. I want you to remember, I want you to recognize, where are you doubting God? Where's that little place in your life where you are shouting, you cannot be serious? Right, there's moments you wake up and you look at your spouse and you're like, you cannot be serious. Your children make decisions. You, no, you cannot be serious, right? You're looking at your career. You're looking at your job that you go to on Monday and you're like, God, you cannot be serious. I've had this moment. I was selling Yellow Pages in Florida in the Google world. It was a bad call. <laughs> and... And I had worked exceedingly hard. I had, I've got two buddies that own a family business in Chattanooga. And I was just going to be like Joseph and Jared. And I was going to go work really hard. And I was going to wear like press shirts and do all the things. And I, I just worked exceedingly hard. And then I got a paycheck because I was on commission. And it was, I was like 200 bucks for two weeks of work. And I had, you know, mortgage and Sims was a baby and Slayton and me and, um, and I was just like, God, you, you cannot be serious. And so what I did was I tithed that entire check. And I, it, it felt like, like I checkmated God. Like, oh, really? You're going to let me work hard and I'm going to get paid 200 bucks? Here, have it all back. Checkmate, dude. <laughs> and, <laughs> right? Do we, we get emotional. It's okay in our relationship with God to get emotional and bring them like our true self. Um, there's a 46-year-old woman who wrote a letter to a friend about her doubt of God. She wrote, such deep longing for God and repulsed, empty, no faith, no love, no zeal. Saving souls holds no attraction. Heaven means nothing. Pray for me, please, that I keep smiling at him in spite of everything. And that was written by Mother Teresa. What are you going through? Paul is caught by this huge pond that landed in Habakkuk's life. He used Habakkuk 2.4 as the basis for his entire letter to the Romans. He wrote, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile, 
For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So I want you to remember, I want you to recognize those little places in your life, and I want you to receive the finished work of Christ. Christ's perfect faith is the source of our faith. Habakkuk Habakkuk brought to God crisis, criticism, cynicism. God brought back to Habakkuk faith, peace, stability. Our faith is Christ's faithfulness. So I don't want you to go from here with this like white knuckle posture of like, oh, I'm gonna increase my faith. I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna read my Bible. I'm gonna start an Instagram ministry. Don't do that. Um, and I'm just going just gonna to white knuckle it through this. Bonhoeffer said, you don't break out, Jesus breaks in. Kerry Miller kind of built on that. He's a professor at Queensland Theological College in Australia. And he said, Jesus transforms our relationship with him. Jesus transforms our knowledge of him. Jesus transforms our desires for him. Jesus transforms our faith. Jesus transforms our experience of life. So when we see Habakkuk 2.4, see, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. When you hear that verse, I hope that you are encouraged. Oh, and now it's time for me to pray. Lord, we live on a broken planet, and we are broken people, and when those things align, we can, the emotions flood. Help us to sort of sort through all that and bring to you our emotions. And Lord, when we do bring to you our criticism and bring an indictment against you, thank you that even then you are patient with us. Help us remember today that we are to live by our faith, and Christ has lived his life, perfectly faithful, and that faith is available to us. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.